I was a student at Howard Payne University, um, I have to confess something, and I'm going to go ahead and just get this out there in front of everybody, is occasionally I would skip class. I know, it's a terrible thing. I have since repented. What's funny about it, though, is one of the reasons that I was skipping class, and I'll get to that in just a moment. You know, prayer is an interesting thing because it is really our way of communicating to and speaking with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And yet, in many ways, it's very underutilized in our lives. And there's so many different forms. I mean, really, if you're going to pick a way to pray, I mean, pick a book. It's like going into a Barnes & Noble and seeing thousands of books in front of you, and all of them are labeled prayer, and it's like, where do I start? What do I do? I want to highlight a couple of different kinds of prayer because our tendency, quite honestly, is to pray for ourselves and talk about our own needs and our own situation. I want to share something with you today, and it's something that's really hot on my heart. In fact, this is not at all what I planned on speaking about. In fact, I already had something planned and prepared and had already sent it over to production to have the, the screen in, you know, and all the scriptures done and everything. And, and then yesterday morning, I woke up with this weight on me. But I have to tell you something. It wasn't a, a hard weight. It was heavy, but it wasn't bad. If you, I think you know what I'm talking about. It, it's a burden that you feel. It's a weight that you feel. In fact, an Old Testament word for that is the word kabod. And it literally means the weighty glory of God. And I woke up with that yesterday. And it was a sense that something big is going on. Something much bigger than our eyes see. Now, I'm saying that our, our eyes, but I, I really felt the Lord speaking that to me very specifically. There is so much more going on than you can even possibly comprehend. 
And I felt an assurance, and even as I'm saying it, I, I sense and feel that again, that God is up to something good. He's up to something big. And this is part of the plan. You know, God in Romans 8, 28, Paul use, talks about the character and nature of God that he literally causes all things to work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And that means God is the ultimate economist in the sense that he is doing something and is working on something. And a lot of times the way he gets it to us is not the way we wanted it to come. I've often said this, that God will often give us what we need in a package we don't necessarily want or like. Isn't that the MO of God for you in many different times of your life? I know it is for me. Back to skipping class in college. There was a group of us when I went to school who, for lack of a better terms, we were hungry after God. When I went to college, I laid out a couple of years actually before I started college, and that was actually a really good thing for me because it simply clarified for me why I was going to school. What was my point of being there? And so by the time I got to, to Howard Payne and by the time I sat in those first initial ministerial classes and those Bible classes, I was so hungry and so on fire for God and so wanted to learn. I wanted to grow. And I gravitated to and found others in my class and in my school that had that same sense. In fact, there was a group of us that were just absolutely passionate for Jesus, passionate for revival, passionate for awakening, passionate for evangelism. Actually, we were there believing that God had a plan and wanted to save the world, and we wanted to become a part of that plan. And that group of students, we went through most of school together. Some of us went on to seminary and were there too in Fort Worth. But during that time, it was very special. And what we did, we, we would just grab one another. We'd just say, hey, let's, let's go to the prayer room. And, and at our college, there was this prayer room. And I remember it had this massive picture of Jesus just that had been painted and gifted. And then it had an altar in it and a nailing or, or a kneeling uh, bench or kneeling rail there and a communion table in there and a couple of few chairs. It wasn't a large room at all. But several of us students would gather in there and we would be literally many times on our face before God as young people crying out for revival. We're, we were praying for our school, saying, Lord, Lord, because here's what, I had this misnomer, call me, call me naive. I was a young Christian, new Christian, had just became a follower of Christ a couple of years before that, so I was very very green and very naive, and I just assumed when people stepped over the line and went all in with Jesus, they were as excited as I was. How naive is that? I, I just thought, everybody should be really excited about this. I didn't grow up in church, so maybe that played into my passion and my excitement because I know what I was saved from. You know what's interesting? At the age that I am now, I'm 58 years of age, and you know what? That is not diminished one bit. If anything, that passion has risen. Now, it's more tempered and it's packaged a little 
sweeter than it used to be. <laughs> but that passion is still roaring and coursing through my body and my veins. And I still wonder why people aren't as excited as I am about the gospel. So we would meet in that room and we would have these impromptu and, and these uh, spontaneous prayer meetings where several of us would show up and sometimes I'd bring a guitar or somebody else would bring a guitar and we were learning these new worship songs. Remember, this is the early 80s and Christian music had not quite evolved. It was just starting to kind of catch some traction with contemporary Christian music. But worship was behind the, behind the line on that. And there were these new songs starting to come out from various places. And I was able to obtain a bootleg copy. Remember those white cassette tapes that broke after about 10 plays? They, they would record sermons on them and they, they, the quality was horrible. They'd be like 120 minutes on a little cassette and they just weren't made to last. They were very cheap. And I got a bootleg copy of a church out of Waco, Texas, a Baptist church nonetheless, Highland Baptist Church, that revival was moving and sweeping through that church, and they were writing and producing their own music. And I got a bootleg copy. I memorized and learned to play on my guitar every song on that tape. We'd come together in these, these spontaneous meetings, and we would just pray and cry out to God, and we would worship together, and we would weep for the lost when was the last time we wept for the lost? When was the last time we cried for the lost? Those who don't know Christ. And I remember that was a lot during the evening, but even during class, I would sometimes, I have such a burden to pray and such a desire to be in the presence of Jesus that sometimes I wouldn't even show up to class because a lot of times I was praying, I didn't even realize class was going, and I would look up and I was late. But one professor, Dr. Frankie Rainey, my Greek professor, high impact, huge impact on my life for Jesus, I remember he, he figured out where us boys were. And a lot of us were in the same Greek class together. And we would be in there after lunch. It was an afternoon class. And we would be praying and worshiping and going after God. And the door would open. And I remember he'd say, boys, you come into class? We'd jump up. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And we'd run to class. I have to tell you something. I look back on those simple prayer meetings with such joy. Those were markers in my life. Those marked me. They marked my heart for revival. They marked my passion for evangelism and a desire to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and the Lord of their life. I was marked. And once I was marked, that's a mark that can never be erased. We're talking about prayer today because I feel that's what God wants us to talk about. And I'm going back to an Old Testament verse. Those of you who know me, I don't preach a whole lot out of the Old Testament. But I have to tell you, God is resurrecting a love for some very key passages for me. And I want to share that with you today. In fact, if I'm going to go ahead and read it. And if you have your Bible, go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Yeah, you can look it up in the table of contents. That's fine. 
Second Chronicles chapter 7. And it's a powerful passage of scripture. And the occasion of it, because remember context is king. The occasion of this scripture and this passage was when Solomon dedicated the temple. Remember David, his father, King David, had been given the responsibility and the privilege to build the temple, a beautiful, magnificent temple to move away out of the tabernacle, the, the tent of meeting, and actually have a permanent home there in Jerusalem. And David spared no expense. And he began the construction of the temple. But God, knowing David was not only a poet, but was also a man of war, decided to move that responsibility for the completion of the temple onto David's son, Solomon. And so we come now to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and the temple has now been completed in a fascinating passage because in the first verse of chapter 7, 1, I'm not going to read that, I'm just setting up the context for you. The presence of God so filled the temple that the priests that were in the temple could not even minister. It was as though smoke filled the temple. In one passage in, in Kings, it, it has a parallel passage and tells the story there that they could not even stand to minister in the presence of God. That God so poured himself into that place that they could not even stand on their feet. They had to be down low. And the presence of God in the form of smoke filled the temple. Can you even imagine what that must have been like? To see that, to experience that, to encounter that. And that's the context of what I'm going to read. I'm going to start with our key verse, but I'm going to back up right after that. I'm going to talk about two types of prayer today. Because it's interesting, we did a survey for Oak Hills when we were a part of the Oak Hills family. And we found out when several thousand people were surveyed that one of their top desires, one of their top wants, needs, or asks was that they wanted to learn how to pray and how to hear the voice of God. So we're going to talk about two kinds of prayer. Listen to this scripture out of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, says this. And this is an if-then statement, which is a covenantal statement. It says this, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I want to share something with you that I wrote. And it's this. It is, it's common when the church is gathered to pray that when we gather to pray throughout, we do this through a worship service. So when we gather, we pray together. We do that. But now that the church is scattered in this season, we still need to humble ourselves, seek his face, and turn from our own will in our own ways and pray. This goes way beyond our individual needs and circumstances. And that's where I want to identify these two kinds of prayers. It's very common for us to pray for our needs. Lord, my income has been interrupted. My job security. Uh, my own brother is on the verge of losing his job. Others, 
and then not to mention the health aspect of what's going on. We've had a tremendous historical and epic disruption of life with this thing. And so, and, and appropriately so, we need to pray for our needs, pray for ourselves. The Father says this through uh, the Apostle Paul. He says, let your requests be made known to God. Bring it there. Unfortunately, sometimes in the midst of crisis and turmoil, we stop there. We stop with our needs because that is what is drawing our attention. That is what is garnering our, our emotional brain space. That is what we're focused on is our needs, my needs, my family, my situation, my job, my security, my home, my, 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 me, myself, and I. And listen, appropriately so, we need to pray for an end to this thing and for our needs to be met. That's important and it's critical. I'm not diminishing it. However, there is a flip side to that coin. And this is really where I want to focus. And the scripture I just read to you out of 2 Chronicles really captures the heart of that. So this goes way beyond our individual needs and circumstances. In fact... As the church gathered, we're to pray for our land to be healed. Do you see how that is a shift from me? And now it goes to we. It's a shift. So there's, there's a prayer that's individual for your own needs. Again, needful, good, appropriate. However, that is only one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is that there is a world out there who needs Jesus now, who needs Christ in this hour. I remember learning an acronym. You may have learned some of these, and one of them was called PRAY, P-R-A-Y. When I was a young follower of Jesus, and I remember teaching young people when I was a student pastor, okay, here's a way you can pray. It's sort of an outline. It's very simple. PRAY, P-R-A-Y. And the first thing you'd do is you'd start with praise. That's what P stands for, praise. Praise, Father, I thank you. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Praise. The second, our second letter in that is R, and it means repentance. So praise and then repentance. What does repentance mean? It means to turn. It means to change your mind. It means to go the other way. And so you repent. And then the third was to ask. But here's the deal, not for you. It was to ask for others, to pray for the world, to pray for the globe, to pray for the situation, pray for your community, to pray for your friends and family, to pray for others. And the last letter, and this is why I kind of went with this one, and I liked it, was, is the letter Y, and it means and stands for yourself. In other words, in our prayer, we pray for ourselves last. It's a good rule of thumb. And I've held a form to that, not, not as the letter of the law, but I've held to that pattern my entire life. In fact, by the time I get through praying for the first three letters, I usually don't even get to the why. So this goes way beyond our individual needs, way beyond our own circumstances. We're to pray for our land to be healed. We're to pray for people to seek God's face and for us to turn to him and embrace spiritual awakening and revival. And then I ask the question, will you join me in praying 
as the church scattered. And that is the challenge today. And I'm titling this a call to pray. It's very simple. We are called by God to pray, maybe now more than ever, but not just for our own stuff, but for the world at large, for one another. And then I wrote this prayer. I'm going to put this back out on social media. I may stick it on our website so you can get to it. And it's simply this. And just join me right where you are. Father, we need you. We're desperate for you. We're hungry for you. We humble ourselves before you. Would you heal our land of this pestilence and restore our faith, passion, and desire for you above all things? Would you forgive us for idolatry, distraction, and self-centeredness? Would you give us the grace to seek your kingdom first and your heart above all things? We turn back to you and away from the things that have ruled our hearts that are not of you. We love you. We trust you. We believe you. In the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus our Christ and our Lord, amen. I'm going to post that because I, I want us to pray that. Would you get that on your tongue? Would you join me in praying this simple prayer of calling out to God? Listen to this in verse 12 of Second Chronicles. We're going to back up a couple of verses. Listen to what happened here in that setting. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. Now remember... The temple had been dedicated. The priest couldn't stand. It was such an outpouring of the presence of God. It was miraculous and supernatural above and beyond nature. Supernatural in scope. And now they had been celebrating the very presence of God. And if you read the passage, it appears that immediately this happened. Just so you'll know, Bible time is not like ours. It was actually a 13-year break from the dedication of the temple chapter or verse 1 in this scripture right here. So there was a 13-year span of time. Then the, Lord, then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. Now think about this. Solomon had been praying for 13 years after the dedication of the temple. 13 years. I have heard your prayer And have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. He's talking about the temple. Thirteen years later, he's saying, I'm ready. Number one, and I'm just going to give you these simple points. The need for corporate unified prayer. He says this in verse 13. He says, when this happens, I want you to do something. So he says this, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence. And don't think COVID-19 is not pestilence. And send pestilence among my people. He says, when these things happen, he says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Now, here's the difference in this kind of prayer and the kind of prayer referred to earlier, that side of the prayer that's about me. This is about my needs. This is about a people. And so the way I put it was the expression of corporate unified prayer. This is when a people come together. See, in my relationship with Jesus on a personal level, I can talk to him in very familiar terms. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, 
Thank you for your love, Abba. Thank you, Papa. Jesus, thank you. You're so good to me. I can talk in very casual, colloquial terms, very familiar terms. But when it comes to a scenario where there is a pestilence across the land or where there is disaster or where there's a 911 or where there's a war, an earthquake, whatever there may be, that is when we unify and come together as a people and it's a different level of praying. It is a people group praying. As an individual, I know I've been forgiven of my sin. I know I've been healed. I know I've been set free. I know that I am free in Christ. Flip the coin as a people. As a people, we still need to repent. We still need to repent of our sin. We still need to come before him and cry out on behalf of one another. We as a people, a nation or a church or a community need to cry out to God together. So it's a different level. That's the other side of the coin. He says, we'll humble themselves. We have to humble ourselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. That's repentance. Then... He says, if then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. There is a promise connected with this. So he says, when these things happen, when these kinds of calamities happen, here's what I want you to do. My people, now he's talking to, it is a corporate expression. Number three, here's the promise for corporate unified prayer. Here's what happens. He says, now, see what, if then, now. See the progression. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, this place. That my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Let me give you some really good news. Jesus came. And Jesus, after the temple was torn down... Now Jesus, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, and then later in Acts chapter 10, released the Holy Spirit upon the earth, and the church was birthed. Both Jews, Acts chapter 2, Gentiles, Acts chapter 10, and now we are, this is crazy, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of His presence. Now He wants to gather. He wants to meet with us, in us. And through us. And so you can read that and take the, the template of the New Testament over this and go, wow. He's doing this now on a very personal level. Corporate and personal. He says, I'll be there forever. My eyes, my heart will be there perpetually. But also with us as a people perpetually. It's both and, not either or. Listen to number four. The challenge of corporate unified prayer. As for you. Now, the Lord's beginning. He's clarifying something with Solomon. As for you, Solomon. If, there's that word if again. If you walk before me as your father David walked. And do according to all that I've commanded you. And if you keep my statutes and my judgments. Comma, not period. So there's something to come. There's a promise after this. And here's the reward of corporate, unified prayer, repentance, of doing 2 Chronicles 7.14. He says, then, there's an if, now there's a then. Then I will establish the throne of your kingdom. 
as I covenanted with David, your father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man as ruler in Israel. He says, I'm going to fulfill the very purpose for which I called you, for which I created you. Now, this works for us too. The destiny that is on your life is predicated again, it's predicated by you walking with him in an intimate, personal relationship and doing what he's asked you to do. The thing about grace is it's not passive. It's not swinging in a hammock on a spring day. It is actually very active and very engaging. Grace stands for God's riches at Christ's expense, but it also is God's power, God's strength, God's ability, and God's favor to do what you cannot in and of yourself do. And as he gives us assignments and callings and opportunities, we now, like Solomon, we have a choice to make. Will I follow? Will I heed? Will I do what he's asked me to do? Will I walk with him? So the reward is this. I'll establish the throne of your kingdom. In other words, I'll fulfill what I said I would do. I will fulfill the promise if you do this. Same for you and me. There's callings. There's dreams. There's a destiny on your life. He will fulfill that as you walk with him. Now listen to this. There's also a warning. We don't like to talk about this much. In fact, we, we want to make sure that everybody's happy and feeling good when they leave church. But let me just say something. If we're going to be a biblical people, we have to realize there are warnings as well. Last week I talked about the shot over the bow. The warning shot. Now listen to this. Here's the warning. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods... And worship them. Here's another if. Notice the if-then statements. Then I will uproot them from my land, which I have given to them. He's talking about his Israelite children. The inheritance that was given would be taken away. And this house, which I have sanctified, that means to set apart for my name, I will cast out of my sight and will make it a proverb a story like and a byword among all peoples the warning is ignored by people and as for this house which is exalted everyone who passes by it in other words the temple that is now destroyed will be astonished and say why has the lord done this to this land and to this house then they will answer because they forsook the lord God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity on them. I read this passage and I think to myself, Father, I am so grateful for Jesus. I'm so grateful for my salvation. But I am also willing to embrace and understand the fear of the Lord. That the stakes are too high to play around with this. Do you hear the intent in this? God loves Solomon. 
He loved David. In fact, that was the lineage through which Jesus would come through. That's how much value God placed on that family line. And yet, in the midst of that, knowing the destiny, he issues a warning. I believe, and I woke up with this sense yesterday, not dread, not fear in in a negative way. When I say the fear of the Lord, I don't mean terror. I mean respect, reverence, awe. That's what I mean by that. And I woke up with this sense that we need to pray, not only for our own stuff, but we need to flip the coin and pray for our nation, pray for our world, and pray and stand together unified that God would pour out His Spirit on our world. We've been praying and believing for harvest. And I believe it's happening right now. And I don't believe it looks like the harvests of old, which were revival services where the altar was full and people were weeping, I still believe that's going to happen. I believe that'll be an outflow of what God's doing right now. I believe harvest is happening because I believe that people are crying out to God right now, right where they are. Here's my encouragement to you. In your crying out to God for your needs, flip the coin and begin to pray for others and begin to pray for what God is doing across the earth. And that revival would come. That spiritual awakening would come. That people would turn their hearts to Christ. And they would not continue to do what they've been doing. But that we as a people would humble ourselves. Pray and literally turn from our wicked ways. And trust that as we do this. God will literally heal our land. And that, can, that has so many implications. Would you join me in that prayer? I'm going to post that online, that simple prayer. And would you join me in praying that prayer? I'll put it online so that we can see it. And I want to remind you, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place this place for now i've chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually would you join me in that prayer as we call out to god in fact i'm gonna i'm gonna close with that prayer the prayer that i shared earlier i'm gonna back up to it Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Just be in agreement. Listen to the words and be in agreement with me. Father, we need you. We're desperate for you. We're hungry for you. We humble ourselves before you. Would you heal our land of this pestilence and restore our faith, our passion, and our desire for you above all things? Would you forgive us? for idolatry, distraction, and self-centeredness, would you give us the grace to seek your kingdom first and your heart above all things? We turn back to you and away from the things that have ruled our hearts that are not of you. We love you. We trust you. We believe you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus, our Christ, and our Lord. Amen. Thank you for watching this morning. Thank you for listening this morning. Would you join me as we unite our hearts to pray, not only for us, 
but for them. And let's see revival come. Now, maybe you're watching today and you're thinking, well, that's a good start, but I'm not even there. I haven't even got to the start line yet. And I, I feel like I need to, there's a step for me before I do that. So here's what I want to invite you to do if you're listening and watching right now. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer. And what it is, it's a prayer of saying, I'm setting my heart apart for God. I'm giving my heart to Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. Would you do that with me right now? I did that. A couple of years after that, I ended up at Howard Payne, training for the ministry, seeking God, skipping class to pray, and enjoying the presence of God in so many fresh ways and new ways. And I desire that for you. I want that for you. To be able to spend eternity with our Father, with Jesus, with the Spirit, fellowshipping together, celebrating together, receiving our inheritance in Christ. That's my heart for you. But here's the beauty of it. It not only gives you that, because that's all there, but it also gives you capacity and ability and an empowerment to navigate the craziness of this world right here and right now. If you desire that, if you need that, if you want that, and you're saying, I want to give my heart to Jesus, I want to ask you to pray this simple prayer with me right where you are. Just bow your head right where you are. and Pray this after me, but make it your own. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I have sinned, and I have fallen short of your glory. I have missed the mark, and I need you. Would you come into my life, into my heart, into my mind, into everything that I am and save me? I turn, I repent, I change my mind about sin, and I turn my heart to you. I give you my past, I give you my present, I give you my future. All that I am, all that I have, I give to you. I want to be born again and follow Jesus all my days. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor? and Would you write in and let us know that? I want to send something to you. I was blessed to send out several copies of a little booklet by Max Lucado about taking the next step. What do you do after you've become a Christian? And so my friend, my coach, my mentor, Max Lucado, put together this little booklet, and I want to get one of those to you. So if you'd write in, and you can write us at info at bridgefbg.com, or you can direct uh, messages, private messages there on Facebook if you're on Facebook. But either way, do write in, do let us know, and we'll get that in the mail to you. Send us, make sure you put your mailing address so we can mail it to you and get it to you. Thank you for joining us today. We love you. Oh, my heart's just beating out of my chest for you this morning. And may we be numbered among those who gather corporately, who link arms, even as the church scattered, to pray for our world and to pray that God would heal our land and forgive our sin.
Thank you for watching. God bless you. Have an amazing week.